Hello and welcome to Catholic Parents Online, a YouTube and podcast channel where we share tips and resources on Catholic parenting. This is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Parenting Team of the Apostolate for Catholic Truth. Presented with the lens of the Theology of the Body, we will see how we can be a sincere gift of ourselves to our kids in ways that will help them find true happiness and flourish in accordance with God's wonderful plan for each and every one of them. My name is John Hui and I'm your host for this series. Today, we'll be talking about pornography, a very relevant and important topic for all of us parents in today's highly digitalized world. And we, have, we are very honored and delighted to have with us none other than Dr. Christopher Chok. Dr. Christopher Chok is a psychiatrist, senior consultant and chief with the Department of Forensic Psychiatry at Institutes of Mental Health. He was formerly the clinical director of the National Addictions Management Service and head of psychological medicine, Kutik Park Hospital. He's a visiting consultant to the Singapore Armed Forces and a member of the medical board of the Civil Aviation Authority of Singapore. During his career with the Singapore Armed Forces, Dr. Christopher Chuck had served as commanding officer of Medical Classification Center, where I used to work a long, long time ago when I was still a very young medical officer in the army, long time ago. Lots of happy memories there though. Yeah, he was also the uh, deputy commander of the Military Medicine Institute and the head of the Psychological Care Center. He has published three books on mental health and 20 research papers in peer-reviewed journals. So very, very well-esteemed and a highly esteemed speaker to uh, interview today. So thank you very much, Christopher, and welcome to Catholic Parents Online. Thank you, John. Uh, glad to be here. Okay, great. So today uh, we'll be talking about uh, pornography addiction. And um, according to a 2016 survey by Touch Cyber Wellness in Singapore, Apparently, 9 in 10 boys between the ages of 13 and 15 years have uh, watched or read sexually explicit materials. Uh, some surveyed children were exposed to pornography even before they started primary school. So it looks like it's quite a problem today. And, um, you know, how, how big really is this a problem of uh, pornography addiction? I think the statistics you have quoted for Singapore is probably a, a reflective of the true situation uh, in our country. Uh, internationally, it is said that actually half of kids would have uh, had exposure to pornography in one form or another by the time they are in early secondary school. And, uh, you know, internationally, it says that uh, almost a quarter of the, of the population of, the, of, the, of us living on earth uh, actually would uh, uh, and, um, go into a porn site for five to ten minutes a day. Uh, that is how big the problem is uh, around the world. And this problem is actually brought about because of uh, technology. Um, in the past, um, so when we were kids, uh, if uh, we were curious of pornography, it, it probably came in a magazine and you probably had to sneak it into your home or sneak it and bring it into school in your school bag. And you probably could only get it once a month or once every few months because someone had gone overseas and you know, really sneak it back into Singapore. But right now, porn is available everywhere. It's available on your phone, available on your tablet, practically 24 hours a day, and you can access all sorts of porn. Many of them are free, and this really compounds the problem. And porn, but the nature of porn is that uh, it is pleasurable to watch for many people. And it's not surprising that when you see something that is pleasurable, people just want more of it. Yeah. So um, you mentioned that the, they just want more of it, and it seems that 
it seems to do something to the user and uh, especially those who get addicted to it. How, how does pornography actually affect the user from the uh, psychological point of view? So it depends on uh, when you're exposed to porn. Um, the most dangerous period uh, for exposure to porn and especially those with high user uh, usage uh, and viewing of pornography is when the brain is developing. So if someone starts to watch pornography in say late primary school and all the way uh, through secondary school, this is a time when the, the, our brains are developing at a very, very rapid rate. And the, the, you know, the, the neurons in our brain are wiring up and that's when memories are created. And uh, if you watch uh, porn, lots of porn during this period, it will really skew your view of the world. And because uh, it is uh, pleasurable to watch for most people, uh, people will then, uh, who watch porn frequently will then uh, make, it, make it habitual for them. And they find it very hard to kick the habit once it becomes uh, so ingrained in, in their lifestyles. Uh, how does porn affect a person? Uh, for many young people, because they may be inexperienced in uh, actual physical sexual activity, uh, when they view porn, they typically will get a very uh, skewed uh, view of what uh, sex is uh, all about. Uh, in pornography, most of the time, they just uh, highlight the sexual act. No one talks about love, no one talks about commitment, no one talks about relationship. So I think that's where the, the real harm is. Uh, in my profession, especially during the time when I work at the National Addictions Management Service, and even now when I, I do forensic assessments for sexual offenders, um, it, we do see many people who have very daily high porn viewing. Uh, it's not surprising for many of upskirt uh, uh, cases that I do. These people are watching like half an hour of porn multiple times a day. Uh, they can spend a total of two to three hours a day viewing pornography. Um, so this is where the real risk is. And for those people who cannot control themselves, uh, being addicted to porn uh, really uh, is kind of a gateway to sexual offending for some of them. Right. So um, you mentioned about the possible harmful consequences of pornography and so on. Um, could you perhaps possibly explain to us from the uh, psychological point of view, how pornography uh, changes the wiring in the um, user? Okay, so um, if um, just like any uh, thing that we do recurrently, um, it could be, you know, for those people who like sports, some people um, uh, find that they have to go to the gym every morning. If they don't go to the gym, they feel lousy. Um, same when you make any other behavior into a habit. Um, when you, you either do that behavior to get the pleasure of it, and if you don't... Uh, if you don't do that behavior, then you don't feel good. So likewise, when you watch pornography, the brain learns uh, that this stimulus uh, will give you pleasure. And then with that, uh, the brain learns and makes it into a habit. And that changes the, uh, the way uh, people watch porn. From casual viewing, where it's just maybe quick entertainment for a short period of time, soon it becomes ingrained. And people find that even if they don't wish to, they have this kind of like craving that they have to, and then they will fall back into to, to watching the porn. And then once they start, it's not like a, a few minutes of, of viewing, it just stretches on and they just 
many of my patients tell me that they just go from one clip to another clip mm. to another clip and to another clip mm. almost mindlessly and yes. very soon uh, hours will have passed. Uh, together with that, those people who are uh, have pornography addiction, many of them also uh, would actually masturbate multiple mm. times a day as well. Mm. It kind of comes hand in hand uh, with this uh, uh, porn behavior, uh, porn viewing. And for many of them, uh, in a real relationship, uh, many times uh, their sexual activity, physical sexual activity, is really impaired uh, because uh, certainly pornography being um, a show everything is so perfect and so, uh, uh, I guess, professionally produced. Uh, in a real-life situation, uh, real relationships, uh, a human-to-human real-life sex isn't quite like that. Um, and they find that uh, it's not stimulating enough for them and mm-hmm. they can't get the, the, you know, the, the stimulation they require so they can't you know, uh, get uh, achieve the orgasm. Mm-hmm. Uh, many times, uh, they, these people in a real relationship, they also find that um, they can't even sustain an erection um, yeah, because they are, they, are, they are so used to having this perfect stylized uh, sex uh, that you see on porn, which is not reflective of the real world. Yes, yes. I would agree with you. It seems that even from the patients that I see who come to see me at the clinic with uh, sexual dysfunction, whether it's uh, premature ejaculation, erectile dysfunction, or just inability to uh, you know, have intercourse properly with the wife. Uh, it appears that many of them, when questioned further, have actually been exposed or have been using pornography, uh, pornography quite a bit. So I, I would uh, tend to really uh, agree fully with you uh, as to how this can come about, you know. Yeah, it really just changes the whole mindset and the outlook, right? So I, I think it probably does affect quite a bit of their relationships as well, um, you would think. And also perhaps from the social and family point of view, it does affect the users quite a bit, isn't it? I, I, be, I believe it does because uh, when you watch that amount of porn, we're talking about you know um, an hour, couple of hours a day, uh, I think you do have something to hide. Mm. Um, and uh, not just watching the porn, it all comes together as a package. You know? uh, so mm. you watch porn, you masturbate. So many of them even go to see sex workers and all that. Mm. Uh, or you know, go to massage parlors. Mm. So it all comes as a package. And very soon, you know, uh, that many hours of your week is lost in this activity, which could really have been better well spent building a relationship with your loved one. Yeah, yeah absolutely, right? Absolutely. Um, but I think it seems that the... Um problem is quite real and seems to be getting worse uh would you think so i think i, I do think so i mean if from um one of the most common cases that we handle is really the upskirting the you know the voyeur um this voyeurism thing is something very new it just started uh, about 10 years ago uh, with the with the invention of the iphone you know? right. prior to that we don't have these uh, small cameras that we can carry around right but if you look in the newspapers uh, or the, the websites uh, practically every fortnight, we see a case being mentioned in court or someone being caught. And, uh, yeah. So it's uh, really uh, a growing problem. It's something new. And it, it was, it's, it's such a problem that even in 2020, the government uh, enacted specific laws uh, called voyeurism, uh, uh, which it never was before. Last time, it used to be under the umbrella of outrage or modesty. But mm. since 2020, specific laws were enacted just to address this particular behavior. Yeah. Yes, yes. It seems like a huge problem. I, I, I seem to be reading it almost every week or twice a week, I thought. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, those, and those are the ones that are reported. Uh, yeah. uh, 
reflect all the cases that are, they are being handled. I'm, I'm sure you see a lot more in your practice. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay, it must be such a problem. Yeah, but um, having said that, uh, I would like to think that not all is lost. Can, can pornography users and addicts um, overcome this uh, habit? You know, And if so, how can they do so? Would you um, comment on that? Um, sometimes uh, we need to be honest with ourselves too. And if we find that we can't kick the habit or uh, I think we should uh, try to uh, get the help of a friend, a trusted friend. You know, we have something, something called accountability buddy. Yes. It's like uh, going to your friend for confession like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it basically it's being accountable to somebody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I understand there are some apps even right out there um, that actually help with this uh, area of... Uh, um, accountability and for people who want to actually um, come out of it. Yeah, I, I, I believe they are. Yeah. And of course, uh, one self-help or, uh, you know, cut doesn't work, then maybe you want to seek professional help with a counsellor. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, I think another aspect, uh, since we are talking to a Catholic audience here, is to develop your own spirituality. Uh, mm. Because I, I think the Catholic Church, uh, they are, it teaches you good things, right? Mm. So it's more that, you know, um, Spending more more of your of your bandwidth on things spiritual than uh, things pornographic. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It, it seems that from what you've mentioned, it it, uh, it is not difficult for people who once initiated into pornography just might just go downhill and on and on and on, right? And then after that, uh, they'll get into lots of trouble, not just with the self, but with family and the friends and even the the law, right? Um, yes. So it seems that the best is uh, if you don't want to fall off the cliff, don't even go near it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And certain people have certain vulnerabilities. Uh, yes. as, as you will know, some, some people uh, like alcohol, some people like gambling. No? Yeah. So even some people just like porn. Um, and because it gives them such a big kick. No? So um, if, if the person has this uh, individual vulnerability because of their personality, uh, then I, I think uh, they should try to get professional help. It's not yeah. easy to break this habit. No? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that um, it is important for us to um, have that humility to admit to ourselves. I mean, even for ourselves, right? We really have so many uh, issues in us that we need to settle, and we need um, to seek for help with um, um, accountability partners or friends. Of course, in my case, it's my spouse, and of course, a priest, spiritual director, and so on, right? Who can actually help and guide us along the journey. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And of course, many of these people who go into porn addiction and upskirting and things like that, um, a lot of it has to do with boredom uh, and they don't yeah. have alternate hobbies. Uh, so uh, yeah. one, one great way is to really try to develop a, another hobby because yeah. uh, you spend so much time in this activity and you really lose out on yeah. the other aspects of self. Yeah. So I think uh, trying to fill your, your leisure time with uh, other activities is a great idea. Yeah, yeah that, that's a very, very great idea. Absolutely. Yeah. Besides the um, boredom, are there any other um, triggers uh, for people who might enter into pornography? Some people say it's like stress and things like that. Are yeah. there any other trigger factors? I think some, sometimes some people go through periods of stress, and especially when some of this stress cannot be immediately removed. So, for example, if one is stuck in a job uh, and you have difficulties with your supervisor or your colleague and you, know, you can't quit right now, or if you know, uh, you're going through a bad patch in the family or your finances you know, uh, or even your own health. So uh, some, sometimes we can't uh, remove that stressor mm. quite so quickly. And then yes. when it takes a toll on you, some people may just turn to easy ways of getting hap- uh, mm. a pleasure in a mm. short term. Uh, I yeah. think this is a big trigger. Uh, we have seen people who seem to be very reasonable people, then suddenly through this period of stress, they 
startups good thing and mm. um and then because they are not uh, so good at it then they get caught you see mm. <laughs> yeah and that, that's very sad yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so it, it actually really um brings to full view the the need for us to have the support around this right you know that uh, besides fighting it ourselves sometimes we really need help right in the people around us our family our spouse uh, you know and uh, good friends and uh, others as well. So I think these are very important. You think so, right? I, I think so. I mean, uh, I mean, if I think, uh, I think for guys, maybe it's much easier to maybe probably much easier to talk to a, another guy friend about it. Yes. Um, yeah, it's probably harder to go and speak to your immediate family. Mm. And not everyone knows how to handle uh, the how to react when someone tells you about yeah. the problem. Yeah. And you have to make sure the other guy isn't into it as well. Uh yes yes <laughs> don't 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 uh, reinforce each other's behavior. yeah yeah yes yeah, uh, blind leading the blind <laughs> yeah yeah so uh, I guess yeah there's so many ways in which I guess we will um have to look for to help ourselves for those who are uh, really seeking help to overcome it to kick this habit right yeah so I think uh, in summary it's really uh, having the um conviction to want to do something about it and then after that uh, seeking help and having the humility to uh, know that we do need help, whether it is in the form of uh, uh, accountability, part, uh, accountability partners, uh, really good friends who can help, and uh, spiritual directors, and uh, um, uh, professionals like yourself, and uh, others, counselors and psychiatrists. Um, I think these are also important avenues that uh, we must uh, turn to, right? Yeah. Are there studies that uh, show that uh, the um, you know practice of the faith can actually help? Uh, uh, addicts uh, um, and users to overcome um, the addiction to pornography. Um, I think that there is uh, uh, no uh, like uh, systemic study into this area. But if you just take a leaf from uh, all the other types of addiction tra- treatments, uh, many addiction treatments are faith based, even mm. if it doesn't uh, uh, talk about a particular faith. Uh, even those like Alcoholics Anonymous and all that. Their, 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 their mantra is that you know they, they must admit they've lost their control. Mm. They must admit to this higher power yes. that they have lost their control and they have you know they have lost their way in life. Mm. So it's this idea about uh, understanding that you, you the individual has lost their control and wanting to come back and submit to a higher power that's important. And of course, in the Catholic faith, that would be God and Jesus. Yeah. Yes. yes. In, in other, yes. You know, for the lay people out there, you know, the, the, all the Alcoholics Anonymous talk about the, the, the higher power, whoever uh, one may call that person. No. Yes, yes. You're right. I've um, spoken to uh, people um, from uh, who have gone through this uh, uh, some of these uh, rehab programs and uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, now they have this uh, called Sexaholics Anonymous. And apparently, yes, they, you're, you're absolutely right. The, uh, the thing that they do is to really um, recognize that as a higher being, uh, God in our case, who really is in control. And we have to really know that we ourselves don't have that power to do so, but we have to let him be in control and to really uh, help us overcome the difficulties and the deficiencies that we have in ourselves so yeah you're absolutely right that's that's what a consistent story i hear from them when i when i talk to them yes yes very much so and i think also the the this idea uh in the alcohols anonymous or your sexualist anonymous the idea that you come uh, together to meet to talk about things that there is this dynamic that goes on within the group the first thing mm-hmm. is that uh uh 
what what many addicts tell us is that they feel quite awkward talking to another individual if that person isn't an addict themselves. They right. feel that, that they won't be understood. Right. So when you come together with people with the same problem, then people start to be able to talk about it. They mm. don't feel judged. Mm. And uh, and typically in a session, uh, someone there would have relapsed. Mm. And then it brings to mind the, for the person that, uh, oh no, I'm vulnerable to relapsing too, so I better yeah. be on guard. So it's a certain dynamic that goes on within a, a self-help uh, support group like that, which is actually very useful. And of course, uh, many of these people who are sex addicts or upskirters, uh, many of them are lonely in the first place. Yeah. So um, having the opportunity to come and meet and talk to people in itself uh, actually helps them uh, bridge that loneliness, yes. even if it's coming for uh, AA or S, uh, you know, SA meeting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I think this uh, mention about loneliness is so real. Um, I think this day and age of um, in the internet and social media, I, I think many people tend to hide behind the screen and they may have uh, thousands of friends online but in reality, they may have very, very few friends whom they really can um, physically uh, turn to and can really uh, count on uh, in times of trouble, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so and, and I think that, uh, I mean, even though we are doing this uh, uh, chat by Zoom now, uh, when you meet someone face-to-face, -face, uh, there's some dynamic that goes on when you look someone in the eyes and yes. you know, the, the body language and all these things go uh, really uh, uh, go a long way uh, yes. in having this what I call uh, feeling that you know you are interacting with something someone real. So I, I think that uh, uh, yes, being online all the time is really not the best thing. We couldn't yeah. help it during times of pandemic, but as pandemic improves, I think uh, I think we should try to meet up with people more and have meaningful conversations and interactions with uh, real human beings. <laughs> right, absolutely. I think the next time we do an interview, we'll do it uh, physically. And yeah. I'll, I'll do my ART first before I meet up with you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Considering I'm seeing COVID patients almost every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that um, in this area, that uh, in this particular interview, which we are doing for uh, Catholic parents, right? Um, I'm sure they are watching this because they are concerned for their own children, right? So I guess there are two uh, areas I would probably uh, ask you uh, for your expertise. You know, number one is actually how do we help uh, parents or at least help, what can parents do to uh, prevent their children from getting into pornography? And the second question would probably be if the children are already into it, how can they help the children? Okay. I, I think it's, uh, the approach is quite different for different age groups. I think for the primary school and younger uh, going age group, um, I think what's important actually is to have uh, a safe internet environment. Mm. Uh, so within the home, um, I think uh, you know we should password protect uh, the adult uh, devices. You know, uh, and of course, if you can restrict uh, certain types of access, if you have the your child has a tablet, his own personal tablet. You know, uh, then I, I guess we should try to have some parental controls put in such that uh, they don't get to view all these things. Uh. Mm -hmm. uh, for myself, um, because I work in this industry, so I'm very concerned about mobile phones and all that. Yes. So even my primary school children uh, do not have mobile phones. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, that's interesting. I, yeah, as I, they I grow think... older, uh, I, I get them the, 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 the good old uh, candy bar phone for a start. Right, uh, until right. until there's some maturity, you know, because it's not that uh, we want 
them to be ostracized or bullied in school or made fun of. Like that. It's just until such time that you, you know, um, reach a certain maturity, then of course uh, it, it's safer uh, yes. to to have the full-fledged uh, uh, mobile phone. <laughs> yes, it's, it's like saying that uh, a pair of scissors is a very useful tool to have, but we have to make sure that they, they know how not to cut themselves with it first before they can actually have access to it, right? Yes, that's right. That's right. And then uh, I think uh, for the teenagers, I think uh, once you have your own mobile phone and, and all that, I think it's very hard to control. It's probably inevitable that uh, they will have some exposure. Even if uh, if they don't search for it themselves, their friends will be talking about it. And that's all. Oh, they, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's about uh, having uh, reasonable and, uh, you know, uh, conversations with them around the, the topic. La. I mean, mm. talking to them, cash, I mean, you know, over dinner or less formal setting about, about uh, all, all these potential problems and all that. Yes. Um, I think honest conversations like this uh, would be very helpful. Uh, because um, it's it's a real it's it's really a, a real issue uh, yeah. that, that we face. Uh. Yeah, yeah, fully and, agree with you. I think that uh, for the parental child relationship is so important, isn't it? So um, with that at least as a basis, we can actually then have a better uh, opportunity for conversations, the right conversations with our children, right? So otherwise, I think it'd be so difficult to talk to them about these issues. And I think also just not not focusing on the pawn behavior itself. Many times people turn to pawn. Uh, those people that turn to pawn and lose control, many times uh, they are actually trying to escape from some from something. So I mean, the, it, it all falls back again to the parents itself. So if the parent uh, um, can can if the parents can lead the household in a way that the stress level is not too high. Uh, there's happiness in a household, um, there's good interactions and relationships, then uh, even if they do uh, come across porn, uh, they may not like be hooked onto it and they're curious, then after that they know this is not good, they shut it off, that sort of thing. Yeah. But then when the household is very stressful, uh, you know, when there are unreasonable demands on their academic performance or too many uh, weekend uh, uh, CCA type activities and that sort of thing, or if parents themselves have their own issues to deal with um, in their own you know, parental relationships and things like that. So I think we should really look into all this because many times, uh, many of the uh, those uh, upskirters who have a serious upskirting problem, when you look back, uh, they also had quite a disadvantaged childhood. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree with you. In fact, um, some of the patients who I've seen, young teenagers and uh, young even adults even, right? Um, the almost, uh, you might say universal... Um, factor I see, right, uh, is that um, many of them do not have good relationships with their parents and the, and the family is a bit uh, quiet or cold or even stressful, like you mentioned. And uh, they tend to then perhaps use this as a form of escape, you know, from uh, this uh, stressful environment, this cold environment or an environment where they feel very uh, put down in some way or other when we fail to affirm them properly, right? So yes. I, I tend to see that in some of my patients as well. Perhaps um, for children who actually have uh, gone into pornography, what, what can parents do for their children? So I, I guess it's uh, really about the age. Uh, so again, in primary school, while, while you still have some control over your children, 
uh, line. <laughs> I, I think it's really to restrict. I mean, uh, so, sorry, I sound quite hard line, right? <laughs> but I, I think while you still have control, I think it's to really set the boundaries um, while you still can. Yeah. Uh, I think even like, uh, you know, I, I've told, uh, I've, I've told parents before, maybe after a certain time, you should set your router to switch off, you know, so that, you know, the time is supervised. Uh, we also say that uh, sometimes uh, put the computer devices in the common uh, in the living hall where everyone can see. So you know this this type of things really uh, hopefully can control that behavior. Mm. And uh, I just want to emphasize again: uh, no mobile phones, and uh, maybe you get something that's not not so sophisticated, no, uh, can't stream and things like that. Yeah, or even if you dumb phones, right? Yeah, or dumb phone, or even if if you're using a smartphone. Uh, yeah, just don't get so much data, no? <laughs> because it all runs on data. All these, uh, all these streaming videos. Uh. For once you come a teenager, I think it's still a bit uh, more difficult. I, I, I guess. Uh, um, I I think that uh, it's uh, important to to really start having conversations. Then, and if you still can, you can still try to restrict. I guess. Uh, but it, it'll definitely be growing harder and harder. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, because uh, th that's the nature of the natural development. Yeah. 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 I uh, don't worry about it. Yeah. You're, you're not a very hard-hearted parent, huh? Because I went through that myself. Uh, in primary school, my kids a uh, long time ago. Of course, you might say it was a long time ago. But even at the time, their uh, peers were having a phones and uh, we said sorry no handphone for you until you go into secondary school and uh, because you can still use the phone in the uh, office school of uh, you know in the school office to call us if you need to and we can still call the teacher if need uh, if needed to uh, get in touch with you and that, that was really 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 very rare and uh, when we went to secondary school i remember giving them um, kind of a prepaid card first um to to kind of like um control the amount of the data that is used and I told them that okay for the first two years of uh, secondary school let's uh, observe how you manage this and if I can I'm comfortable that you're using it responsibly I will be able to then go on to something more and gradually increase the more data but of course uh, like you mentioned uh, with the uh, necessary filters and also the conversations that need to go with these uh, yeah but I can imagine it's a lot tougher now uh, in the, in this day and age where the the access is much easier and the uh, kids are a lot smarter than us yeah, yes, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think. Uh, I. I think it's not just the behavior of watching porn. Actually, if if not porn, some of them can do alcohol. Some people can do mm. other types of addictive behaviors, yeah. even the illegal drugs and all that. Uh, so so the porn aside, it's more like making the household conducive. Uh, for raising children uh, and even if they go into teenage or even young adults and they're still in the household you know, it's to make uh, the household uh, you know, a, a place that uh, they, the children uh, would rather spend time with than to hang out somewhere else yeah you're right you're right I think making the home a very positive environment where the kids enjoy being with family members all right uh, will make it so much more um, so much easier in a way for them to avoid these uh, negative uh, uh, influencers, so to speak, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, right. So, well, Christopher, it's been uh, really wonderful having you uh, uh, on this uh, podcast and listening to your words of wisdom. You know, before we uh, end this uh, interview, you know, do you have any like last words of advice for Catholic parents to help the children avoid pornography? Anything else that you'd like to share with our Catholic parents? I, I think it's to be realistic and to know that it's uh, pornography is present and you know you can't run away from it you know? um, 
So it's, uh, we, we do have to, uh, uh, be re to re know that it's around us and uh, manage it uh, and don't just like hope you disappear and go away. Yeah. It won't. It just <laughs> it, it won't. won't uh, <laughs> it's a reality I, today. It is a reality today. And again, there are many other things. Like I say there are other things that they, they are addicted that they can run to. It can be computer gaming, alcohol, drugs, and, and gambling. You know? So many other types of addictions. The porn is just one, but one of the many addictions one can fall prey to. So it's just to really to 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 be to manage it and uh, come to terms with it and and you know make the household a great place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So maybe next time we can, we might need to interview you on a gaming addiction. <laughs> I'm sure you must have seen lots of this in your practice too. Uh, yes, we do. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, Christopher, thank you so much once again for sharing your expertise and wisdom with us today. You know, it's been really having a great, it's been great having you on this uh, YouTube podcast series. I am sure many of our parents would have uh, benefited greatly from this interview with you. Right. So thanks so much. Thank you. It's a great pleasure, John. Okay. okay, everyone. We have just heard from Dr. Christopher Chop. Senior Consultant and Chief with the Department of Forensic Psychiatry of the Institute of Mental Health, and formerly the Clinical Director of the National Addictions Management Service. At our next interview, we'll be interviewing a very courageous individual who will share with us his journey from pornography addiction to freedom in Christ. I hope to see you again then. Till we meet again, take care and may God bless you in the time we always. Goodbye. <laughs>